Chapter 2, History of the Word of Wisdom. And the voice of warning shall be unto all people by the mouths of my disciples, whom I have chosen in these last days. DNC 1 verse 4. The revelation in Doctrine and Covenants 89, more commonly known as the Word of Wisdom, was received by Joseph Smith in 1833 in Kirtland, Ohio. It is officially accepted as scripture by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and an understanding of it is currently a prerequisite to hold a temple recommend. The Word of Wisdom has a long history, a history more nuanced than most members of the Church realize. With an understanding of the context of the Revelation, the time in which it was given, and the history of it since, we can begin to grasp why it should be more important in our lives. Section A Lack of Temperance In the mid-1800s, tobacco, alcohol, tea, and coffee were regularly consumed by most members of society, much like they are today. Tobacco was still used frequently in various forms by the medical world, as it was thought to cure many ailments. Beyond its medical or medicinal purposes, it was routinely used for enjoyment via smoking and chewing. Alcohol was also in great demand. In fact, during this time, Americans consumed more alcohol than at any other time before or since. The average person drank 7.5 gallons of pure alcohol a year in the 1800s. Today, the average American drinks about two gallons each year. One <clears throat> author referred to America during this time as the Alcoholic Republic, saying, quote, Americans drank at home and abroad, alone and together, and at work and at play. Americans drank before meals, with meals, and after meals. They drank while working in the fields and while traveling across half the continent, end quote. Coffee and tea were no exception, as they were consumed in large quantities by men, women, and children alike. One prominent church historian writes, quote, By the time Joseph Smith moved to Kirtland, Ohio in 1831, more Americans were beginning to become concerned with social vices generally and alcohol abuse especially. Besides slavery, gambling, and political corruption, debates swirled about the appropriate use of alcohol. Reformers advocated temperance or the moderate use of alcohol, end quote. While alcohol and other similar beverages were extremely popular, there was a growing temperance movement taking shape around the same time. Joseph Smith was not the first or only voice to speak against alcohol and other excedotoxins. <laughs> Might get into some medical terminology that I don't get. Okay. Starting in 1805, the temperance movement quickly gained popularity across the country. However, just because the temperance movement happened during the time in which the word of wisdom was revealed does not necessarily mean that it was a product of the movement itself. Joseph may have admired or been sympathetic to some of the temperance principles, but we do not have any recorded statements from him about his feelings on the matter. Therefore, we choose not to make such a conclusion as to the relationship of the temperance movement to the word of wisdom. Section Early American Diet and Health During the 1800s, the standard American diet consisted of primarily of locally grown fruits, vegetables, beans, and grains. Most were farmers, and that was sufficient to sustain their families' needs, occasionally trading with community members to supplement what they didn't grow themselves. Since railroads were not yet well established, importing other food was not a reliable option. Meat and dairy were usually raised on an individual's farm. Meat, however, could be dried or smoked, allowing it to be stored for longer periods. Due to unsustainable <laughs> unsophisticated preservation. Many other foods, including fruits and vegetables, were difficult to store through the winter unless pickled. 
Thus, during winter months, people ate larger portions of meat and dairy, and during the summer months, people ate larger portions of fruits and vegetables. At this time, there was a great variety, uh, yeah, great variety in the medical industry. <clears throat> Instead of physicians trained in one school of thought, each doctor could abide by his own philosophy and begin practicing with little to no formal training. While this allowed for an open market and a great deal of innovation and healing to take place, it also opened the door for conflicting information and methods that today seem questionable. Each doctor had a different philosophy and would use any number of herbs, medicines, foods, alcohol, and even poisons with patients. <clears throat> Lacking consistency and consensus, health care was a free-for-all. Some doctors, such as Samuel Thompson, developed life-altering herbal practices that Joseph Smith reportedly remarked were just as inspired as his introducing the restored gospel. Others, such as physician Benjamin Rush, a renowned and popular doctor of the day, began practicing extreme bleeding and purging to heal various elements. Section Early Church Health and Nutrition Practices As we previously mentioned, most Americans drank alcohol to varying degrees during that time, and the early church leaders were no exception. But perhaps drinking wasn't the biggest problem among the brethren. Brigham Young explained what happened among the brethren when convening each day in the School of the Prophets. Quote, The first thing they did was to light their pipes and while smoking, talk about the great things of the kingdom and spit all over the room. And as soon as the pipe was out of their mouths, a large chew of tobacco would then be taken. Often when the prophet entered the room to give the school instructions, they would find himself he would find himself in a cloud of tobacco smoke. This, and the complaints from his wife as having to clean so filthy a floor, made the prophet think upon the matter, and he inquired of the Lord relating to the conduct of the elders in using tobacco, and the revelation known as the word of wisdom was the result." End quote. The whole situation was certainly less than ideal for those who were called of God as these elders were, especially when we remember that the room was with the filthy floor was also Joseph's translation room, the same place where he often received revelations from God. For the Spirit of the Lord to instruct us, we must have cleanliness and order. Surely, Joseph must have had a difficult time obtaining the mind and will of the Lord under such circumstances. Joseph began inquiring of the Lord about what could be done, and on February 27, 1833, scarcely a month after the school was started, he received a revelation later canonized as Doctrine and Covenants section 89. This was the first revelation given in the School of the Prophets, which is of great significance. The revelation was received while the brethren were congregated in the School of the Prophets and was unanimously accepted by all in attendance. According to member Zebedee Coltrane, quote, when the Word of Wisdom was first presented by Prophet Joseph Smith, there were twenty of the twenty-one who used tobacco, and they all immediately threw their tobacco and pipes into the fire, end quote. Section, The Word of Wisdom from 1834 to Today. Some Latter-day Saints in recent years have suggested that the Word of Wisdom was initially more a set of guidelines rather than governing principles of health for church members. This is because of the language in the text saying that it was given not by commandment. However, the Prophet Joseph taught that members should not hold church offices until they live the Word of Wisdom. He said, No official member in the church is worthy to hold an office after having the Word of Wisdom properly taught him, and he, the official member, neglecting to comply with and obey it. <clears throat> As was the case so often with the Prophet, 
These were not just empty words. In 1838, David Whitmer was excommunicated from the church on many charges, the first of which listed in Joseph's journal being for not observing the word of wisdom. We should note, however, that when the word of wisdom was given, it was understood to be a principle-based, and thus the application was not solely the letter of the law, but the spirit as well. Namely, ensuring the agency, that agency and health of body and spirit were used as a framework for which one would determine a substance use. That is why it was occasionally permitted for one to drink tea or use alcohol in certain circumstances. Overall, it was clear that adherence to the word of wisdom was of utmost importance to the saints in their membership in the church. In 1834, the church council officially declared an enduring policy that the Latter-day Saints must obey the revelation to receive callings. It wasn't until the following year, in 1835, that the revelation known as the Word of Wisdom was published as Section 80 in the first edition of the Doctrine and Covenants. In 1842, Hiram Smith gave one of the most historic and first dedicated sermons on the Word of Wisdom in General Conference, which we will draw from throughout this book. Although this revelation was not yet a binding commandment for the whole church, members were still expected to adhere to the principles once taught, as Joseph explained. The Lord still expected obedience. Nevertheless, he was patient with the saints as they earnestly sought to remove bad habits from their lives, as he is with each of us. After the death of the prophet Joseph Smith and the subsequent migration of the saints to Utah, Brigham Young often spoke passionately about and was an ardent supporter of the Word of Wisdom. As evidence of his zeal for and devotion to the Word of Wisdom, President Young made a significant declaration and invitation to all saints on September 9, 1851 some 18 years after the revelation had been given. While the patriarch of the church, John Smith, delivered a talk in General Conference on the Word of Wisdom, President Brigham Young arose and proposed that all saints formally covenant to abstain from tea, coffee, tobacco, whiskey, and to and adhere to all things mentioned in the Word of Wisdom. Many years later, Spencer, President Spencer W. Kimball emphasized the fact that President Young gave the Word of Wisdom as a commandment when he said, quote, The word of wisdom is a commandment. In 1851, President Brigham Young gave to this church the word of wisdom as a final and definite commandment. From 1851 until this day, it is a commandment to all the members of the Church of Jesus Christ. End quote. It was during President Brigham Young's administration in the church that the word of wisdom was accepted as a binding commandment. As President Ezra Taft Benson taught, quote, at first, the revelation was not given as a commandment. It was given as a principle with a promise adapted to the capacity of the weak and the weakest of all saints, who are or can be called saints. This allowed time for the saints to adjust to the principles contained in the revelation. In 1851, President Brigham Young proposed to the General Conference of the Church that all saints formally covenant to keep the word of wisdom. This proposal was unanimously upheld by the membership of the Church. Since that day, the revelation has been a binding commandment on all church members. End quote. As we can see, the word of wisdom did become a binding commandment for the church beginning with Brigham Young in 1851. However, just because it was then made a commandment doesn't mean that the consequences for noncompliance were immediately set forth. In, even in 1898, President Wilfred Woodruff declared that the word of wisdom must be strictly observed, but bishops ought not to withhold temple recommends from those who do not strictly adhere to it. In 1902, a mere five years later, President Joseph F. Smith urged stake presidents and bishops to refuse temple recommends to saints who flagrantly violated the word of wisdom. Ten years later, he declared that middle-aged men who 
have experience in the church should not be ordained to priesthood to the priesthood nor recommended to the privileges of the house of the lord unless they will abstain from the use of tobacco and intoxicating drinks in the april 1931 general conference president heber j grant and general conference succinctly explained the issue of commandment versus non-commandment quote I have met any number of people who have said the word of wisdom is not a command from the Lord, that it was, no, that it is not given by way of commandment. But the word of wisdom is the will of the Lord, and the Lord says in the words that I have just read that it is not meet that we should be commanded in all things. End quote. It wasn't until 1933 under President Grant that the word of wisdom formally became a requirement to enter into the temple. However, as we already discussed, the word of wisdom became a commandment in 1851, but was not a requirement for holding a temple recommend. It was in 18, or 1933 that the handbook of instructions for state presidents and bishops was changed to say that any members who wish to attend the temple should keep the word of wisdom. Section Textual Changes and Additions In 1921, the updated edition of the Doctrine and Covenants included an additional comma in verse 13, which was, which has caused some controversy. The comma was inserted after the word used, so that it read, And it is pleasing unto me that they should not be used, comma, only in times of winter, or of cold, or famine. Some church authors believe that this seemingly insignificant change to the text changed a great deal about the interpretation of the word of wisdom. Though there is much debate about the origin and intention of the comma, LDS linguistic scholar Royal Skousen clears up any possible doubts of the comma's use when he wrote, quote, First, consider the use of the word only in the part of the word of wisdom that deals with eating meat. Yea, flesh also of beasts and of the fowls of the air, I, the Lord, have ordained for the use of man with thanksgiving. Nevertheless, they are to be used sparingly, and it is pleasing unto me that they should not be used only in times of winter or cold or famine. In additions prior to 1921, the comma before only was missing, and it is pleasing unto me that they should not be used only in times of winter or cold or famine. <clears throat> and so he's delineating out between the different editions of the, the Doctrine and Covenants there. A reader might interpret this as the meaning that meat could be used at any time, not only in times of winter, cold, or famine. Of course, the real problem here is in the meaning of only. In the last century, the word only very often has the meaning except. For example, the Oxford Dictionary quotes the use of only that undoubtedly means except. For many years, the following notice was painted up at the Bolton Railway Station. Do not cross the line only by the bridge. Clearly, this is the appropriate sense of the only in the verse from section 89. James E. Talmadge put the comment in the 1921 edition, but not in order to change the meaning of only. Instead, the meaning of only had changed and the comma was put in so that the modern reader could read the verse and still get out its original meaning. And that's the end of the quote from Royal Skousen. It's a long one. For an excellent in-depth analysis of the use of comma and its place in the Revelation, please see Questioning the Comet in verse 13 of the Word of Wisdom by Jane Birch. After remaining largely quiet on the Word of Wisdom for many years, the Church released an official statement in 1972 about caffeine. It states, with, quote, 
With reference to cola drinks, the church has never officially taken a position on the matter, but the leaders of the church have advised, and we do now specifically advise, against the use of any drink containing harmful habit-forming drugs under circumstances that would result in acquiring the habit. Any beverage that contains ingredients harmful to the body should be avoided. End quote. In a more recent statement, the church clarified its position, stating, quote, The church... Revelation spelling out health practices in DNC 89 does not mention the use of caffeine. The church's health guidelines prohibit alcoholic drinks, smoking, or chewing of tobacco, and hot drinks taught by church leaders to refer specifically to tea and coffee. End quote. Interestingly enough, however, a careful reading of the statement will show that it does not contradict the statement made in 1972. It merely points out that caffeine is not specifically mentioned in DNC 89. The most recent clarifying statement from the church came in August 2019 to include the use of many additional and increasingly common substances. Quote, in recent publications for church members, church leaders have clarified that several substances are prohibited by the word of wisdom, including vaping or e-cigarettes, green tea, and coffee-based products. They also have cautioned that substances such as marijuana and opioids should be used only for medicinal purposes as prescribed by a competent physician, end quote. Section History in Perspective What we have promised, or <laughs> provided the reader in this chapter is certainly not a comprehensive history of the Word of Wisdom. Rather, it is a high-level perspective of how the Revelation was lived and implemented since the time of the Prophet Joseph Smith. <clears throat> Perhaps the most important thing to remember with the Word of Wisdom is that it is a set of guiding principles. At the same time, we should also remember that even though the text says that it was not given as a commandment, it was given as the will of God, which is effectively the same as a commandment. We need not worry over whether it was initially a commandment because, as we have already discussed, starting with Brigham Young, it became a commandment long before any one of us was alive. Of course, there were varying levels of enforcement until it was made a requirement for temple attendance. Over the years, there have been clarifications and additions made by inspired prophets, but we would be wise to remember that we are not to be commanded in all things. The brethren do not have to say something is specifically in violation of or in keeping with a word of wisdom for it to be so. Guided by the Spirit, we have the privilege and responsibility of seeking the Spirit of the Law. Perhaps President J. Reuben Clark Jr. said it best, quote, The word of wisdom is not a rule of conduct. It is a law, the Lord's law of health. It was promulgated by him. The law existed before he told it to us. It would exist if the revelation were blotted out from the book. The church authorities have nothing to do with the law. God, speaking through the forces of the physical world, has prescribed it, and so long as those forces exist, the law will remain, end quote. In other words, the word of wisdom is not something we can decide for ourselves. It exists outside the organization and authorities of the church. By adhering to the principles, we place ourselves in a position to receive the natural consequences, as well as the promises of the Lord.